Some writers say that he robbed the grave, but I believe he conquered the grave. And there's difference in robbing and conquering. Well, you look good this morning. Most of you, anyway. Aren't you glad you're here? I'd rather be here than Manatee Memorial anytime or Blake or any of those places. I want to talk to you this morning about managing the resources that God has given to us. And I know some of you right off the bat are going to say, okay, going to flip him off because I know everything to know about managing the resources God has given me. But two weeks ago, I asked you the question, can I trust God? And I think we we talked enough about this, but, but, but we then last week asked a, a totally different question. Am I trustworthy? Can God, can God trust me? That is, with the resources that he has given me. And today, I just want to share with you what I call the trust test. It's a, it's a two-part sermon. Some of you will be happy about that. Because I'm not going to try to pack it all in today. We're going to take the next today and next Sunday... And we're going to walk through this whole issue of trust. Now, here's what I need you to do. I need you to pray about next Sunday for a variety of reasons. But one is our finance team, our finance committee, has done a wonderful job in coordination with Pastor John, myself, of putting this Why We Give pamphlet together. And I've asked you on the first Sunday to take that and begin to read it and digest it. Now I'm going to ask you to make sure that you bring this with you because this will be a part of the trust test. This will be a very integral part of that trust test. So I'm gonna ask you to make sure if, you, if you've lost yours or you didn't get one, make sure and get one out at the welcome desk. And, and if you need one, see me afterwards because I have multiple copies of this and want you to be a part of this trust test. The finance team has done a wonderful job in putting this together and talking to us about uh, the resources that it's going to take uh, to minister in this, this year, 2020. I need you to pray about that as we gather together next Sunday to, to take the trust test. And then I need you to pray for me because I'm going to be flying in Sunday morning from Raleigh-Durham. I leave at 5.50 a.m. and will arrive in Tampa at 7.45 a.m. So I want to make sure and be here by 10.30. Now, I'm not worried about the drive from here to Tampa, but I am praying for Southwest Airlines to be on time. Sometimes they have a tendency not to be uh, as punctual as I would like for them to be. But pray for me. I'll be out in Danville, Virginia on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday uh, speaking at a conference and, and sharing with some folks at a wonderful ministry called God's Pit Crew. And they are they're doing some phenomenal work around the, the globe. Well, we're going to walk through this issue of trust this morning. And as God's children, as we take the trust test... I, before we begin, I, I allow me to illustrate sort of the thought process that I want us to enter into. You know, life is different than I ever expected it to be. In fact, over the years now, as I grew up in a parsonage and a pastor's home and, 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 and I've known ministry all my life, I will tell you that the challenges that I've experienced just in my personal life have made me look at things probably in a different manner 
than I thought they were going to be. Let me illustrate it this way. At first, I saw God as, as my observer, my judge, keeping track of the things that I did wrong so that whether I, I, I merited heaven or hell when I die, and he was out there sort of like a president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I really didn't know him. But then later on, when I met Christ, it seemed as though life were rather like a bike ride, but it was a tandem bike. Now, Jennifer and I bought a tandem bike a few years ago, and that was a disaster. Because I said, sweetheart, you, you get on the back here, and, I, and I'm going to be in the front. Well, we all know that on a tandem bike, if you're on the back, all you're doing is riding. Even though there's handlebars, you have no way to direct where you're going. It is all in the front person. And she would say, she would say, where are we going? Oh, just, just hang on, sweetheart, and pedal. Well, you know what she started doing? She's here today. She, she quit pedaling. That's not fair. Because then I'm driving and pedaling. Well, anyway, I want you to think about this tandem bike ride. Christ, at first, was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know when it was, but he suggested that me and him change places. And can I tell you, life has never been the same since. When I had control, I knew the way. It was boring, though. But it was predictable. It was the shortest distance between two points. But when he took the lead, when he got up front, he knew delightful long cuts. Up mountains, through rocky places at breakneck speeds. It was all that I could do to hang on. And even though it looked like madness, he said, pedal, Alan. I worried sometimes and was anxious. And I asked, where in the world are you taking me, Lord? And he laughed, and sometimes he didn't answer. And that's when I leaned into, and I learned that, that I was just going to have to trust him because he was never going to leave me or forsake me. I forgot my boring life, and I entered into this great adventure. And when I said, Lord, I'm scared, he would lean back and touch my hand. And he took me to people with gifts that I needed, gifts of, of healing, and acceptance and joy. He gave me gifts along the journey, and off we would go again, and he would say, now, give those gifts away. They're extra baggage, too much weight, so I did, and we would meet people, and I found that in giving, I received. And the journey continued, and one burden was light. I did not trust him at first to take control of my life. I thought he would wreck it. But he knew bike secrets. And I'm telling you, he knows how to make those sharp corners and how to jump off clear, clearly off of high rocks and do things that I could have never done when I was in control. And I'm learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places. I'm beginning to enjoy the view and actually the cool breeze on my face and my delightful companion and my leader, Jesus Christ. And when I'm not sure I can do it anymore, he smiles and says to me, Alan, just pedal. I'm in control. Now, I think every one of us comes to a place where we have to ask this simple question, can I really trust God? 
I mean, can I trust him with my life? Can I trust him with my future? Can I trust him with my family? Can I trust him with my job, with, with my health, with my possessions? I think every one of us has to come to that place where we have to cross the line of either saying, yes, I do trust him, or staying back and saying, no. Ladies and gentlemen, I cross that line. I trust him, and I can tell you that, that I don't know everything that is ahead of me. I don't worry about it, though, because I know the one who has control of everything that is ahead of me. And I also understand, and I want to say this at this time, it's at the trust test line that we either grow spiritually and we cross over and say, yes, I'm going to trust God, or we back away from that line and we begin to shrivel in our soul and never reach our full potential as a child of God's, all because we were unwilling to let God take control of our life. Now, I'm trying to give you handles this morning, ways that you and I can learn to trust God more completely. And so I'm, I'm hoping that as you entered the auditorium this morning, the worship center, you got this. And I want you to get this out. If you have it, take a pencil or a pen and follow along with me because I want you to write some things down this morning, not because I'm saying them, but because they will mean something to you in the days ahead. I want to give you these. I did a little acrostic there, and let me just share with you what each letter stands for. We're going to talk about these, or at least a couple of these this morning. Trust, T, take an inventory. We need to be asking ourselves the bottom line question, do I really trust God? R, recognize God as our source. We need to recognize and realize as we take this inventory of our life that everything that you and I have right now is a gift from God. Would you agree with that? Everything. I'm talking about that vehicle you drove in this morning. It is a gift from God. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. I paid ally for that. God gave you the ability to pay ally for that. Some of us today... We like to think of ourselves as, as self-made. That's dangerous, ladies and gentlemen. God has given us. So recognize God as your source. You understand God's principles. Until we understand them, we're always going to hold back in our trust toward God. S, surrender everything to God. The moment that we understand the principles that God has for us, then it is an act of surrender. I surrender all. And then T, test God's promises. We need to look at God's word. Test his promises because it's in the testing that God proves himself faithful to us. Then all of a sudden, our faith begins to build. Now, let's start with the, the first T, take an inventory. I, I hope that you will take the time, but in, in the scripture, in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, the psalmist says it better than I could say it. He says to God, God, look deep into my heart and find out everything that I am thinking. Don't let me follow evil ways, but lead me in the way that time has proven true. Three observations from the psalmist's prayer of inventory. Only God knows everything about us. Oh, sometimes we think that our family knows everything about us, but they really don't. 
Oh, we, we want to be transparent. We want, we want everything to be known. But, but listen, it is obvious to me that the psalmist said, look deep into my heart and find out everything I'm thinking. Can I ask you, is there anybody in the world that knows what you thought about yesterday? Hmm. In other words, the psalmist said, I don't even know what's down there. I don't even know what I'm thinking sometimes. Look deep into your heart. He's asking God to help him take an inventory. And then secondly, only God can lead me correctly. The psalmist realized that our tendency is to want to follow evil ways. The heart, ladies and gentlemen, the heart is deceptively wicked above all things. We sometimes, in our desire, we want to follow evil ways. But look at the third thing, taking inventory and trusting God begins with God. No, it begins with me. This whole issue begins with me. I have to do personal inventory. Look at myself and ask myself, how am I doing in the area of trust? Proverbs chapter 3 let me just show you how personal this inventory has to be. When you go there, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 10, you're going to see that proverb writer understood that trust began with him. Take your pen out sometime, and, and I'm going to read it, but look at verse 5. With all your heart, you must trust the Lord and not your own judgment. Always let him lead you, and he will be clear. He will clear the road for you to follow. Don't ever think that you are wise enough, but respect the Lord. And stay away from evil. This will make you healthy and you will feel strong. Honor the Lord by giving him your money and the first part of all your crops. And then you will have more grain and grapes than you will ever need. That is, that is such a powerful, powerful perspective. The proverb writer said that all trust starts with a personal inventory. I need to take responsibility for doing my part. What happens then? I do my part, and you know the rest. God does his part. He always does. Now, R, recognize God as your source. Deuteronomy says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as as at this day, we need to come to a place where we recognize sovereign God is the source totally of our life. Recognize that he knows everything. Some of you are thinking, well, he, if he's sovereign, he does know everything. But, but some of us have met those people that think they know everything. You know what I'm talking about. Y'all are looking at me real spiritual this morning. I mean, you are, you are intentionally focused this morning. I'm glad you are, but some of you need to smile a little bit because you're so intentioned. You're so intent right now. I want you to listen to this because this is important. There is nothing that is hidden from him. Nothing. He's sovereign. I love the humorous story of the mother telling her daughter a little bit about the facts of life. And, and she came to the age to understand some of those things, and the little girl, was, she was shocked. She was really shocked. And when the mother finished, the little girl said, Mom, does God know these things? God knows them all. He's the source. 
Write down Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. It's a, it's a great passage that I want you to read sometime that talks about God being not just the source, but our source. As I was going through the Word of God this week, I realized that there are so many places in the Bible that tell us without God it's impossible. Matthew 5, 36 tells us that we cannot change our hair. We cannot add hair to our head without God being the source. Now, there are some, some people out there that are trying to do that. Matthew 6, 27 tells us that we cannot add a single moment to our life without God being the source. James 4, 14 reminds us that we cannot even say with certainty what's going to happen tomorrow because life is like a vapor. It's here one moment, it's gone the next without God as the source. Acts 27, 20 tells us that we cannot save ourselves from disaster without God being our source. It is very humbling when we realize where we are. They, they, they tell me in history, historians say that William Bevy, the naturalist, a very close friend to, to Teddy Roosevelt, spent many evenings out in the, the countryside, out in the, the world of nature with Roosevelt, and they would, they would look at the stars in the heavens, and he would say, that is a galaxy as large as the Milky Way. It consists of 100 billion suns. It is one of 100 billion galaxies. And then Roosevelt would grin and say, now, I think we're small enough, let's go to bed. God's the source. When you think about just, my mind cannot even go there completely because it's, it's not, I'm not intellectual enough or I'm not I, I don't have the ability to do this but just to begin to think just in the solar system in 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 what we can see that God knows us personally the God who who flung the stars with his fingertips knows your name and knows every intimate detail of your life and mine. So, the you is to understand God's principles. And there, there are really three reasons why well, Christians don't give more of their talents and their treasures and their time to God. Number one, they, they don't think they can give and meet their own needs. So often, I've been said, I, I've been told, Pastor, you know, I, I couldn't begin to tithe because I can't, even, I can't even pay my bills right now. Most of the time when we start talking about resources, by the way, and finances, you know, people say, well, I'm not sure that I can give and, and still take care of my family, still meet my budget, meet my own needs, and so the alarm bells begin to go off. Secondly, most of the time, and this is the truth, most believers don't know how to give. Because we don't talk about it very much. We think it's so personal, but yet the Bible talks much, much more about giving than it even does about heaven. Hmm. And then here's, here's a really good one. They don't plan to give. Plan. Because they lack planning, they're always in this emergency I would encourage you to attend a, a personal financial seminar. It would be a great help for many of us. But stewardship principles 
that make a difference. And these are those that I want you to write down. Number one, the who's in charge principle. Psalm 24, verse 1. And again, God's the owner, I'm the manager. God's the owner, you're the manager. And that basically is who's running, who is going to run my life. The earth and everything, Psalm 24 says, that is in it belongs to the Lord. The world and its people belong to him. The who's in charge principle. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you in charge of your life or is God? Is God at the center of every aspect of your life? The second principle is this one, the give and grow principle. Practicing stewardship, biblical stewardship, produces growth in our life. I've got a quote from Timothy Johnson. I I believe it's outstanding. He says, some say dedicate the heart and the money will follow, but our Lord put it the other way around. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If your treasure is dedicated, your heart will be dedicated. If it is not, it simply won't. It's as simple as that. I sat down and I began to write all the ways that practicing good stewardship enables us to grow. We find through good stewardship our spiritual gifts. It increases our faith. We become spiritually sensitive. We become fruitful for God's kingdom. We receive untold blessings from God. We begin to be a blessing to others. We make this lasting contribution. My father used to say to me uh, as a young pastor, he would say, now, Alan, let me tell you, the mark of your ministry on a church, a local church or whatever organization you are leading will probably not come while you're there. It will come after you're there. I used to scratch my head and say, boy, that that old man has gotten senile or something. Can I tell you, he's right. He's right. Because it is typically not in in the moment of ministry that we see the results, but when we go back and we see those people that God allowed us the privilege of leading to Christ and then discipling and then seeing now over the years, Pastor, this is how I've grown and this is the leadership that I'm doing now and this is my role in this church and I want to thank you for, for getting me started in that. So many times I've received a note or an email or a phone call and said, Pastor, thank you for carrying me through experiencing God or the survival kit or whatever it was, evangelism explosion, something intentional. But thank you that you did that because it taught me to be a giver for other people. There's a third principle, and it's the the do it now. See, I I can tell you that practicing stewardship causes us to grow. Stewardship training isn't about raising money or gifts. It's about raising people, Christians, and developing you the way that you need to be developed. But the do-it-now principle, stewardship deals with, with our present resources. The person who waits to do a great deal of good at once will never do anything. You see, there's a cute little poem that I, I heard, and it, it says, Procrastination is my greatest sin. It brings me endless sorrow. I'm going, I, I, I'm going to stop doing it. Perhaps I'll start tomorrow. 
how long, how long are you going to wait before you find out this is my spiritual gift? You know, I, I see people all the time and in the role that I'm in and in leading staff, and I remember when I came to Agape almost, well, almost nine years ago, I had a particular staff member that he wasn't in the right place. And it was painfully apparent. I mean, he told me, he said, I'm the director of IT, but I can't turn a computer on. Now, folks, if you're the director of information technology, you better know how to turn on a computer. But that was his role. And I said, who put you in this role? And he, he told me. And I said, so what do you want to do about this? He said, well, I can play games at my computer. That told me what he'd been doing. I said, listen, we're going to find out what you're good at. And so the next month, you and I are going to meet very regularly, and we're going to sit down, and we're going to figure out what is your giftedness, and we found it out. Now, he, he didn't stay much longer after that because he didn't really want to be working. He wanted to be playing games at his computer. Y'all got really quiet. If he's here today, he'll have to just tell the truth about that. You see, sometimes... We think, and, and, and I can tell you that Doug, Doug's seen this happen. Pastor Doug's seen this happen. Somebody will say, I, I, I want to sing on the worship team when they should not be singing on the worship team. <laughs> Amen, Doug? There's a, there's a reason for that. You know, I've stood by some of you and heard you sing, and you don't belong on a worship team. But, but finding your giftedness is so important in the do it now principle. There's a tendency for us to do this. Well, sometime this year, I'm gonna find out what my spiritual gift is. And you know what? We say that next year and the following year and the following year. And, and we're, we, we, we begin to, to just say, I'll do that one day. Listen, come on, get a life with me. Stay here can't imagine Christians who just sit in pews on Sunday somehow thinking that they deserve a purple heart for showing up. It really got quiet there. You see, what are your gifts? Do you know them? Are you using them? Are, are you, listen, we're going to be held accountable for these things. There's going to be a day when I stand before God and I'm going to either have gold and silver and things precious or I'm going to have a bunch of wood. Some of you are going to have a bonfire. Because that's good preaching, Alan. Amen. Thank you. What are you doing with your present resources right now? What are you doing? I know. You know, it's... it's it's like, it's like, I love the story about the real rich guy who was on the prosperity gospel kick. He went from town to town talking about how he once only had $20 in his pocket and when the offering plate came by, he put all 20 in and he became a multimillionaire. And boy, everybody loved the story. He'd go everywhere. People would just clap, and he'd encourage them to do the same thing. And he was in, he was in Ohio one time and shared this great story. And everybody, 
everybody clapped and one lady raised her hand and he looked at her and said, yes, ma'am, do you have a question? And she said, yes. Now let me make sure that I understand. You only had $20. He said, all, you, you gave all $20 to God. Yes, ma'am. And he made you rich and famous. Yeah, that's exactly the way it works. And now you're a multimillionaire. Yes, that's exactly right. Just one question, she said. Would you like to do it again? Hmm. I get so sick and tired of Christians with all these spiritual cliches talking about how God will provide. Let me tell you something. God has already provided. He's already provided. The issue is not God's provision. The issue is for you and I to learn to manage the resources he's given, be a good steward of them, and pass them on. Amen? That's the issue. Now, the fourth principle is this, the I'm in debt principle. I, I don't like debt. Anybody in here love debt? If you do, we need to get you a counseling session. I don't like debt. Romans chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. By the way, the moment we're born, we're in debt. Well, praise God. Boy, I came for that good news today. There's only... There's one I'm really, I, I want you to see this. Whatever you have received more than others in health or in talents, in ability, in success, maybe in a pleasant childhood, in harmonious conditions of home life, all this you must not take yourself as a matter of course. In gratitude for your good fortune, you must render some sacrifice of your own life for another life. Albert Schweitzer said that. How true. Paul said to the church in Rome, listen, for I owe a great debt to you and everyone else. Paul understood that he was a debtor. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I'm in debt. So where is our indebtedness? It is twofold. To God. To God. All the blessings that God has given to you Health, life, everything. You know what the Bible says? Every good gift comes from above, comes from him. I am indebted to God. You're indebted to God. It's a process that we all need to understand. Number two, I'm indebted to the previous generation. Oh, pastor. Well, that indebtedness, the one that has gone on before us, that has given many of the blessings that we have. I, I, I gotta tell you that, that there's not a Sunday go by that the former pastor of this church, and he's, he's seated right back there. Pastor Tom comes up to me and he says, and this is genuine, Pastor, thank you. That was a good word today. I appreciate you. I love you. You know what? I'm indebted to that man. Because he laid a foundation of wonderful ministry, great work, great ministry. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you for, 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 and, and ladies and gentlemen, we should be indebted. We are indebted to the previous generation. I, I, I think about, I, I think about this, and as I was thinking about this this week, that that he has given so many of the blessings that we have in this great country of ours. In America, 
many of the blessings that we have have basically been handed down to us. We live in the greatest country on the face of the earth. I believe that with all of my heart. I've visited many countries, and I will tell you, I'm so thankful to be a, a, an American. I'm so grateful. But, but listen, my generation, I'm a, I'm a boomer. My generation needs to understand we, we have been given so much. And we know what the Bible says about being given much. Much is required. We must never forget those who have gone before us, who have given us the blessings that we have today. There's an indebtedness. I can't, I can't stand a bunch of ungrateful people who look for a handout and think that, that men, I deserve this. Get a life. You don't deserve anything. Everything you have is a gift from God or a gift from somebody else. And it's our job to take those gifts that, that God or others have given to us and turn around and reproduce and multiply and develop them for the glory of God and to help people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ for the gospel's sake. We're in debt. But the fifth principle is this, the fountain of youth principle. We live forever through our giving. We exist temporarily through what we take, but we live forever through what we give. Jesus has said, that when we keep, we lose. And, and what we lose, we keep. We, we know that. We, you all heard the expression, you can't take it with you. There's a new one that I read the other day. You never see a hearse with a luggage rack. Can't take it with you. You always, you always, you always like the deep stuff that I give you, don't you? Calvin Coolidge said this, no enterprise can exist for itself alone. It ministers to some great need. It performs some great service, not for itself, but for others. Or failing therein, it ceases to be profitable and ceases to exist. First Baptist Church, I want to issue you a challenge. Do you think God is finished with this body? Do you think God is finished with this church after 130 years? Then will God find us faithful? Can we cross the line today and say, he's the owner, I'm just the manager? And will we cross the line? And, and one of the things that, that excites me, and I, I know some of you think, man, you're just the transitional pastor. Thank you for that compliment. I'm here because God wanted me here at this moment in time. So let me help you with something. And I mean this with all my heart. Something that excites me about First Bradenton is that many of you, I'm not going to say all of you because that would be an overreach and an overstatement, many of you have 
a vision for what the future holds. You have a vision beyond the local church. You don't want to just have a church for yourself and sit in a pew and kind of gum yourself to death until you die or until Jesus comes. You, you really believe that, that out there, God has given us opportunities like at Ballard and in this community, in this, in this, in this ever-changing climate. And if you've not noticed, Bradenton downtown is changing even as I'm speaking. And so here we go. Here we go. God has given some of you and some of us a vision to reach Bradenton and this part of Southwest Florida for Jesus Christ. And the vision is not for us. The vision is for the kingdom. And that's the only kind of vision that will last. But here's the truth. We have to be willing to say, okay, God, I'm going to get out of the front seat and I'm getting in the back seat. And Lord, I don't get to steer us. You get to do that. But I get to pedal. And I get to use my gifts. And along the way, Lord, you're going to reach back and encourage me. And we're going to go places that I would have never been able to have taken us. I'm going to encourage you. Will you get on the tandem bike with me? You say, well, but preacher, that would take an extra seat. I think you get my, my drift. God will bring us all a bike. There, that helped. Hop on the back seat and simply say, I surrender. I also thought about this as I was driving over this morning. I had, I had the news on and then I was playing some music and the Lord said to me, Alan, you know how you like to go to those, those, those like I love to go to Bush Gardens and I really used to love to ride all the roller coasters. I think I still do, but, but I got Jennifer on a roller coaster a few years ago and it was not, oh, it was, it was not good. It was not good. But I used to love to get on those roller coasters, and I'm a kid at heart. You know what I like to do? I don't like to hold on to anything. I like to raise my hands. I know, you, now y'all know I'm certifiable. And I loved it. I, I love it because you know what? I'm not in charge. You say, yeah, but the guy that's running that roller coaster is not qualified to be in charge. No. Listen, here's what God is saying. Get on the back seat. You don't even have to put your hands on the handlebars. Now, some of you that are safety conscious, okay. Raise your hands. And come on a ride of a lifetime. Next week, we're going to take the trust test. We're going to finish the principles that God has given us in his word. And then we're going to say, okay, God, I surrender. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me right now.